1: wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
3: The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the authors and participants and do not necessarily represent those of iHeartMedia, Tenderfoot TV, or their employees. This series contains discussions of violence and sexual violence. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on Algorithm I looked at two cases from Hargrove's list that, upon closer inspection, looked unlikely to be the work of Darren Vaughn.
4: The next day is when his girlfriend was found in a body bag. So I
5: I don't think it has anything to do with him being a serial killer, it was a once in a lifetime thing.
4: And
3: I explored Darren Vaughn's confessions with regard to Chicago.
5: Illinois probably has a whole lot of, they have more than Indiana, let's say that.
4: They have way more than Indiana.
3: But Vaughn later contradicted himself and didn't give any specifics that could link him to the crimes Hargrove had identified. And the interrogation ended abruptly after Vaughn informed detectives that he'd spoken with a lawyer.
4: You said you saw a lawyer today? Yeah, he came to see me today. He gave me a lawyer. You, you could have told us that in the beginning. <laughs> well, you're not important to me because I might have to fire.
3: For my heart radio and tenderfoot TV, this is algorithm. When Vaughn was arrested in 2014 for the murder of Africa Hardy, he told police he didn't want to confess to murders that took place out of state because he didn't want to involve other jurisdictions. He wanted a speedy trial and a quick execution. But somewhere down the line, he changed his mind about wanting to receive the death penalty. So I wondered what happened there and if he might now be open to talking about additional crimes. I asked Vaughn's lawyer, Goiko Kasich, to walk me through Vaughn's trial and why Vaughn had changed his mind.
4: At the very beginning, he just wanted to plead guilty before he even met his lawyer, and he wanted the death penalty. And of course, they wouldn't allow that, so he was not very cooperative. Uh, The way we do things in, in Lake County is, if you're ever appointed public defender to a human being, you are married to that human being for the rest of your natural lives. So Darren had had a previous felony early 80s, something like that. I can't remember the exact date. And uh, he had been appointed to a certain public defender who he was very happy with because he got the case dismissed or resolved quite favorably. So now when Darren comes back on this, they appoint the guy who replaced that public defender, Matt Fetch, to represent Darren. Now in Indiana, we have a criminal rule that especially deals with death penalties. And for you to be a first chair in a death penalty case, you have to have been involved in a previous death penalty case. So the powers that be decided to uh, appoint a first chair qualified death penalty lawyer, Teresa Hollinsworth, to start out.
3: In his first appearance in court, Vaughn refused to answer questions, and he was warned that he could be held in contempt of court. At his next hearing he complied with the judge and a preliminary non-guilty plea was entered on his behalf but a month later Vaughn didn't want to come into court at all
4: they ended up stripping him down naked and putting him in a restraint chair and they put some kind of vest on him wheeled him into court and Teresa just went absolutely ape shit and judge Boswell agreed that you know we're not going to have court with him naked with that restraint vest So they ended up taking him back to the jail.
3: After that incident, Vaughn ended up bonding with Teresa Hollinsworth, but he still wanted the death penalty, and he still didn't want to participate in court. At the next hearing, Vaughn communicated through Teresa, whispering into her ear. She announced that Vaughn was waiving his right to appear at all future court proceedings, unless the court required him to appear. The prosecution worried that this could open them up to an appeal down the line, But the judge ruled that it was Vaughn's right to not appear in court.
4: So things were kind of rolling along and they were doing their things for a good year or so. And Teresa got a job opportunity to work in the juvenile court for more money. So she took that position. Nobody can blame her. So at that time, they had to replace Teresa. We don't have a lot of people anymore in Indiana qualified in death penalty cases because they're just not filing them anymore. They used to file 30, 40, 50 a year. Now, if it's four, they're lucky. So um, Teresa referred me, and the powers that be agreed, and I got involved in the case. And the proverbial shit hit the fan right from the beginning because Darren had established quite a close relationship with Teresa. Uh, Let's just say she was his perfect type, and he really liked her. Throughout his life, women have abandoned him. His mother, wife and when she left here's it another time where a woman that he had some trust in he felt abandoned him so i was locked out he wouldn't even talk and he wanted to go pro se which means represent himself so i kept banging my head against the door i kept sending him letters i kept going up to see him he would refuse to see me but i told him in my letters i'm going to come see you every week i'm proving to you that i'm in this for the long haul and at some point, he just indicated, well, I just need 30 more days to myself. And then he says, okay, come see me. And uh, we kissed and made up and uh, I think developed a pretty good relationship. And you know, I, I would have deep conversations with Darren. I would meet with Darren almost every week, at least for a couple of hours, because he needed the time with human beings. So newspapers you know, would often go ahead and make fun of uh, this being the, the Goiko Kassich Uh, 401k plan that I was just going over there needlessly to go ahead and pad my bill but with death penalty cases you you have to earn trust and part of that is going over there but you know we would talk about things and one of those things would be this plan of his and uh, from the very beginning Darren wanted the death penalty he he did not want to go back to prison he had done prison time in Texas for a, a sexual assault case and he did not want to go back to prison. So he says, Hey, if I give you six more bodies, can you promise me you're going to kill me? And he says, They said, Yeah. They say, No, we would never promise him that, you know.
3: And at some point, then Darren eventually decides he doesn't want the death penalty, or, or what happened with that?
4: There's not an easy answer to your question, Ben. I mean, it, it's from the very beginning, it's I want death, I want death, I want death. And then all of a sudden, about three days, four days before we cut the plea, he changed his mind. There's probably several things that played a factor in it.
3: Cossage says that he wanted Vaughn to take a plea deal and the first thing that really helped was getting Vaughn to see his stepsister Regina and half-brother Reginald.
4: And after that his attitude changed somewhat. We kept telling Darren Darren, you know you go to trial you, you get you get convicted. they might not whack you for 18 years. With LWOP, life without parole, he would be in the general population. With death penalty, he's in a cage 23 hours a day. The key then after that was Keisha. We had a fabulous, and she still works with us, Keisha Evans. I grew up in the Aetna section of Gary and that that she lives there now, so that's kind of my Aetna buddy. But Keisha's black, she's like a sister to him, and they just hit it off. Costage says that they were close to
3: making a breakthrough at Vaughn, and getting him to consider a plea deal that would avoid the death penalty when Keisha asked to speak to Vaughn one-on-one.
4: Keisha went in there. Actually, we all went in there. Keisha threw us out. Keisha talked to him for about 40 minutes. She came out crying. We went back in. He was crying. And at that point in time, he agreed to take the plea to life without parole. You get to this point, and you got to get it done in the next couple of days. Because when they're starting to think about it, You got to keep hammering and keep hammering and keep hammering and get it done because if you give them too much time to think about it, they'll change their minds. So again, this is an ongoing process that we're going on for years and years. And all of a sudden, the last few days, boom, everything came together.
3: On May 4th, 2018, almost four years after his arrest, Bond pled guilty to seven murders. The murders of Africa Hardy and the six victims he led police to on the death march. Weeks later, Vaughn was given seven life sentences, one for each victim. Marvin Clinton was the only person to make a victim impact statement. He read the names of the victims out loud. Africa Hardy, 19, of Chicago. Aneth Jones, 35, of Maryville. Tracy Martin, 41, of Gary. Christine Williams, 36, of Gary. Sonia Billingsley, 52, of Gary. Tanya Gatlin, 27, of Highland. And Tiara Beatty, 28, of Gary. Clinton said that Vaughn didn't have a heart or a soul, that he had anger for Vaughn, but that Tiara wouldn't want him to hold on to that anger. But Vaughn never heard what Clinton said, because he'd opted not to show up to his own sentencing, and the court allowed it. Clinton also said that while he knew the defense counsel had a job to do, he was frustrated with all of the time and money being spent assisting Vaughn. Kossage expressed sympathy to all the families in the courtroom and apologized. I was curious why Kossage and Lake County had spent so much time and effort to convince Vaughn that he didn't want the death penalty. Are you philosophically opposed to the death penalty? Or what motivates you to go to to all these lengths for your client?
4: You know, I I waver back and forth, you know. I I was very much pro-death penalty before. Now, I, I cannot say that I'm against the death penalty in every single case. But, you know, dollars are dollars. And you do the calculation that... It probably costs 10 times more money to execute someone than to give them life without parole. You know, the delay, that was one of the selling points, I think, to Darren, ultimately, is Darren, if they order the death penalty today, you're gonna be 62 years old before you get executed. So, you know, aren't you better off living 18 years or whatever in GPOP and dying a natural death out of general population than sitting in a cage for 18 years uh, with a cat? because I let them have cats on death row. That's one of the perks of death row.
3: Um, we've been talking forever, and I, I probably would just keep talking forever. Um, I, I need to run to the bathroom really quick, if you don't mind.
4: That's funny, because I, I ran with my laptop. So had...
3: <laughs> you, you did it while you were talking to me?
4: Yeah, you didn't have me on camera. <laughs>
2: Start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily.
1: To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
7: Something that makes me crazy is when people say, Well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes that it's not a waste that everything you've done.
3: Ultimately, I'm glad that Vaughn decided to take the plea, because I hope, now that he's accepted his fate of life without parole, I hope that there's a chance that he might confess to more murders. And after looking into the scarce information that there is out there about many of the murders that Hargrove's algorithm identified, I think a confession from Vaughn might be one of the only ways that we can figure out some of these old cold cases. Do you have any advice to me? I don't know the system in Indiana very well. If I wanted to reach out to Darren Vaughn and uh, try to talk to him directly. Um, do he's, you have...
4: he's not going to talk to you. Okay. Um, he has to put you on his list of people to correspond with. He won't do that, A. B, uh, during the time that I represented him, he got many, many letters from women, the gallows brides that are out there. Uh, he got letters from this husband and wife couple that claimed that they do interviews with serial killers and they wanted to talk to him. He had no real interest in, in being involved with any of that. He didn't want any more notoriety than he already had. And I don't think he's changed. He will ever change in that regard.
3: Do you know if he heard about the whole Hargrove story?
4: Yeah, I talked to him about
3: it. Yeah. He laughed. Are you able to talk to him? Are you able to reach out to him at this point? Or is he...
4: Yeah, we stay in, we stay in touch.
3: I mean, I guess if you would, just mention that there's this guy out there doing this thing. And, um, you know, just that I'd love to talk to him. Despite Kossich's insistence that Vaughn wouldn't speak to me, I wrote him a letter anyways. I told him that I'd listened through his interrogations and read articles about him. But most of the articles hadn't mentioned his traumatic childhood or the abuse that he'd suffered at the Thelma Marshall Children's Home. I didn't ask him specifically about the cold cases or previous murders. I just wanted to get him on the phone and see what happened. And honestly, I almost forgot I sent it. Until a few months later, I went to my overflowing mailbox and I found an envelope from the Indiana Department of Corrections. I uh, just checked my mail. I was looking for a wedding invitation, and instead I found a piece of mail from Darren Bond. And uh, yeah, let's open this up. Never gotten a piece of mail from a, a serial killer before. Um, it's handwritten. Well, so he says to Ben Keebrick, date five thirteen twenty one, time. 7 18 p.m i darren devon would like to offer you a deal you would have to contact my lawyer to work out an arrangement where he would have to agree beforehand you would have to write a report of the corruption that's ongoing at the wabash valley correctional facility from guards beating on inmates of Rassen bully shit, from fed founds, from shower not having hot water from playing with legal mail from filing false report, from threatening inmates with physical violence to reckless behavior, that but inmate life danger. I also believe that they're a law against family and friend work at the same time. And you that to stop or cover up for COs and counselor that are doing wrong. For appointment to be set up, must contact my lawyer, Goiko Kasich at two one nine. All right. Well, not sure what to make of a lot of that, but maybe we'll be talking to Darren Vaughn. I reached back out to Kasich to see about setting up the interview. Kasich was less than enthusiastic about getting involved. He said he was busy working on a murder trial and said, quote, I'm really not excited about driving to his correctional facility to meet him. He told me to talk to the Department of Corrections and try to set it up with them. And I was less than enthusiastic about that, since Vaughn wanted to talk about allegations of corruption at the prison. But I emailed the chief communications officer at the Department of Corrections in Indiana. She told me, quote, In order to get the process started, I will need you to submit the topic of your story slash project and the list of questions you plan to ask the offender. I sent her a fairly generic list of biographical questions. I didn't feel comfortable putting anything on the list about the cold cases because I figured Kosich might object, and I was also afraid that if I put any questions about prison conditions in there, the Department of Corrections might shut down the interview. I tried to hedge things and leave open the possibility to ask other questions by writing underneath my list, do you need a list of all the questions I would ask or just a representative list of questions? The officer emailed back and told me my list should suffice. The very next day, she sent another short email. It read, quote, Facility staff checked with the offender, Darren Vaughn, and he declined to be interviewed. I responded, I appreciate you checking with him. I wonder if there's some sort of miscommunication because I already have a letter from him where he's agreed to be interviewed. I'm CCing his lawyer, Goiko Kosic. Is there a way you could ask him again and say I was the journalist who sent him the letter? She wrote back, Since he has declined the interview, we will respect his decision and not ask him again. You are welcome to write him a letter, or if you are on his contact list, use email or phone to further communicate with him. I was frustrated. Months had passed between when I'd originally sent Vaughn the letter and when I'd finally heard back from him. And especially since he'd complained about corruption in the prison, I worried that the Department of Corrections might not handle my request properly. I wrote back to Darren Vaughn asking him to add me to his email and phone contact list, but I have yet to hear back. I'll definitely let you know if I do. But I'm unsure of how much we can trust Vaughn anyways. We'd really need an airtight confession to take it seriously, or some sort of other evidence to verify what he said. Because he lied and changed his stories throughout the interrogation, and towards the end claimed that strangling women and leaving them in abandoned buildings was new for him.
4: This is a new thing. This is more of my anger toward Like, I got locked up for a prostitute I paid.
3: He claimed that these murders were due to his anger at getting locked up in Texas. But I think his pattern of behavior says otherwise, and I want to explore that a little bit. I don't think he was seeking revenge on the women of Gary because of the Texas sex worker who got him arrested. I think his murders were displaced aggression towards someone else, and I'm not the only one who thinks so.
5: Let me go ahead and consent to your recording. If there's anything that I'm not comfortable with being recorded, I'll say that it's off the record.
3: A woman from Gary contacted me, telling me she had met Vaughn sometime in the middle of his killing spree.
5: We knew that he was a serial killer.
2: Start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily.
1: To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
7: Something that makes me crazy is when people say, Well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish Sussman, every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: A woman from Gary contacted me, telling me she had met Vaughn sometime in the middle of his killing spree. She wanted to speak anonymously and asked me to disguise her voice. The caller said she met Vaughn through her cousin who struggled with addiction.
5: She was telling me about this guy because quite often I would have to be the one to rescue her from the drug house. So she used to tell me about the guys that's coming in or whatever, but on this particular day I was dealt with a transaction and the guy that she had been telling me a few stories about, he came in, which happened to be Darren. She was telling me about his rules. So this is his rules. Once he got high, he would start taking out all his money. So all the girls that would be in the house would see his money. And you know, when they see the money, they trying to leave with you. Especially if they know you get high, they think you discombobulated. And he played real stupid. But um, Mm -hmm. she was telling me that one day she tried to get some money out of his pocket and he sobered up so quick, she knew he was playing the game, right? Mm. So another girl left with him. This is what alarmed her. It was one girl that she hustled with who would not have gone off without telling her she wasn't coming back or what happened. you. You know, they was good like that. The girl left with Darren, did not come back.
3: The caller said that her cousin's friend was never seen again.
5: They were a team. There was no way she's not coming back. And she knew that Darren had done something to her. Four months later, another girl left with him, and she didn't come back either. That's when we knew that he was a serial killer.
3: Do you remember what either of these girls' names were or, like, what they went by?
5: Uh, it was two of them that they found in an abandoned building close to the uh, 43rd property. The okay. two that was closest to 43rd Avenue.
3: Four of the victims were found on 43rd Avenue, or just off of 43rd. And I know from police interrogations that there was a drug house on 43rd that some of the victims would frequent. Was the drug house, was that like the corner of Massachusetts and 43rd?
5: Yep, 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 yep.
3: There were a lot of parts of this story that were hard to verify, but this part seemed to check out.
5: Now, this is why this man probably went by undetected or the alarm didn't go off. On the average, every day, Monday through Friday, this is a normal dude. He's a peculiar dude, but he's, a, he's just a normal man in his own business kind of guy. When he get his paycheck, it's drugs are us, and the nigga taps in with Satan at that point.
3: What what do you mean when you say that?
5: Okay, this is what I mean. You know, some people that do drugs, they turn into a whole nother person as soon as those drugs hit. Like, it's Jekyll and Hyde. You understand what I'm saying? And if you already had a proclivity towards violent sex, sadomasochism... See, he was already known for being procurator. He likes to get high, beat, and rape his girls but he played the game so that they would think he wasn't alert. Do you see what I'm saying?
3: I heard some people, like, they interviewed his son-in-law, and that dude said he was really creepy, that you'd see him kind of, like, talking to himself, or he would, like, look like he was deep in thought. Mm -hmm. Was that stuff that you ever saw around him?
5: I wasn't close enough to observe him that way. He stayed two streets behind us. We would see him at the 49th gas station. And he would say something like, what's up? You know what I'm saying? He'd get out the car just as cool as anybody else. What's up? Yeah. What's up? His hands were clean. His clothes were clean. He smelled clean. But when he got on drugs, he tapped into Satan. The day that he came over to the house and she pointed out to me that this is the guy who she was talking about, my observation of him was watching what she told me he did. So that's what I paid attention to. I watched him get high. I watched him take out his money. I watched him try to play like he was out of his mind off the drugs and started inviting people to ride to the liquor store with him.
3: Yeah. So that day that you were there, did anyone take him up on it?
5: I didn't I didn't stick around for it. You know how you look at somebody you already know that it's something you guys discuss is going down and y'all give the look?
3: Yeah, so you guys gave each other the look and she was like, this is what I was telling you about? Right, right, exactly. The caller said that her and her cousin's suspicions about Darren were confirmed after a woman named Ebony left the drug house with Darren.
5: It was a chick named Ebony, and she was mixed. She was uh, Mexican and black. She was the hottest ticket. So. Ebony see his bankroll one day and my cousin told her don't go with him because such and such done left for him and she ain't come back. So she tell her don't go, but she goes anyway. When they see Ebony, it's maybe a week or two later she got cuts, scratches, everything. She showed all the bruises she had. Hey, yeah. He was a statistic, brutal motherfucker. And Ebony, let me explain something that she said. This is something that I do feel like you should know. She says that his strength was extraordinary. He handled her with one hand.
3: Like he could like pick her up by the neck with one hand or something like
5: that? Yes. He would sit her up in the window and have her watching out the window. He was telling her, look at all the people out there living their life. I bet that you wish that you was at home right now. You should have been at home with your children. His mom had to be a prostitute. I don't know anything about his mom because I don't know him like that. But his mom had to be everything about what he went out and killed. He had to have despise time. What a person on drugs will do as far as the property for their children, the situations they'll leave them in to go and get some drugs, you'll leave them with other drug addicts. And if ain't nobody around but the kid, what you think they gonna do? And he killing these prostitutes because he know they kids going through the same thing he went through.
3: Yeah, I don't know.
5: No, that's what he doing. He know the same shit that he went through with his mom. He know that's what they kids is going through. So why is he not gonna kill you when he know what you're doing to your children? You probably left them somewhere to be out getting drugs or whatever. And I'm sure this is what he was saying to them before they died. You don't think that he had a conversation with them?
3: To be very clear, the caller is speculating here. But the caller's intuition is correct about his mother. She was a drug addict and a sex worker herself, at least in her younger years. And it's also true that Vaughn hated his mother. That was something that came up again and again in police documents, interrogations, and interviews. His stepsister told police that if she were to have imagined him killing anyone, it would have been his mother. Vaughn's lawyer, Kosic mentioned this as well, how sometimes defense lawyers use a client's mother to humanize them.
4: One guy had nothing going for him, absolutely nothing. And they put his mom on the stand in mitigation, and she fainted. And he jumped over the table and ran to her and hugged her and was crying. Mama, are you okay? Mama, are you okay? And the jury decided that was a redeeming factor. And based upon that, they spared his life. And we thought, gee, wouldn't it be great? And then we paused and said, well, if Darren's mom fainted during trial, Darren would probably jump over the table and try to help her pass on to the next world. So it's kind of a little running joke that we had that we couldn't even use that with
3: Darren. (laughs) He he didn't like his mom.
4: No, he did not. That goes all the way back to the, the abandonment of women in his life, which caused him to have such a difficult time with all of these women, except for his wife, who, who you know basically was his mother because she was that much older and she treated him kindly. So she was kind of like the mom he never had.
3: Although Vaughn made little mention of his mother during the interrogation. It seemed important to him to repeatedly make the point that he only killed adults, never children. And he said that he regretted killing Africa because she was so young.
4: She's probably the only one I feel sorry for out of this whole group, Really? Because she's an age frame I like you, you don't mess with. Just too young? Too young. So to you, you, you right. consider her a kid almost? Yeah. Because she had a chance to be something else. Yeah, the other ones were said in their ways she had a chance to be
3: something else. The caller's story about Vaughn targeting women who reminded him of his mother supported my own suspicions. And I want to be clear that I'm not trying to cast blame on Vaughn's mother or imply that his crimes are somehow her fault. But I think Vaughn's rage and hatred of women go back much further than his Austin arrest or even the incident with Sharitha. And I suspect his murders do as well but I wanted to see if I could talk to Ebony or someone else to verify the story. What about Ebony? Do you know how to get in contact with her?
5: No, this is years ago. She wouldn't have been in my running circle, no way. I just caught her hanging out with my cousin and got the story from her. Yeah. See, I had custody of my cousin's son for his senior year so that he could complete school and everything. Mm-hmm. See, he used to walk home with a group of friends and, you know, would have to act like that wasn't his mother standing on the corner of 43rd and Broadway. Hmm. Walk home with a group of friends and walk past his mother. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And she has since been murdered in Indianapolis. Oh, shit. I'm yeah. sorry. No, I mean, this shit gets real out here. You be doing drugs with them folks. They, they, they get in your house and hit them drugs and realizes that they don't want to split no drugs with you. Shit, these folks are turning into the absolute exorcist. They here spin around and they be spitting green shit the next time you see them.
3: So when Ebony was telling this, like did everyone know that story? Like all the people hanging out in these places? Yes,
5: yes, 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 yes. See, it got to a point where he couldn't get anybody from 43rd anymore. This Mm. is why his ass started calling on Craigslist. Because the cat was out of the bag.
3: I am curious, did you ever go to the police or or talk to to someone like that about it?
5: This is why I brought that up to you. They had a a sanitation meeting at City Hall, and I told them, you guys have a serial killer. Now this meeting is recorded. If I say on open TV, something that absurd, don't you think the police should come to me? Like, why did you say that? What would make you say that?
3: So the police
5: never came to you? No, never. Look at how many people are missing. Look at how many victims there are before the serial killers are caught, and look at how they get caught. They don't get caught by investigation. They get caught once they can't control themselves. He only got caught because he couldn't help himself. He publicly killed his first victim in a public hotel. That's the only reason why they caught him. There's still some more women missing. They didn't tell you that, though, did they? There's still some more women missing that they've never located here. They got a serial killer running around right now. Stay posted.
3: Next week is the final episode in this season of Algorithm. We'll look into what I think is the most likely way we can connect Darren Vaughn to additional crimes, And we'll also talk about the future of the algorithm and how algorithms might help catch serial killers across the country. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the feed. You're not going to want to miss this one. This episode was written and produced by me, Ben Kiebrick. Algorithm is executive produced by Alex Williams, Donald Albright, and Matt Frederick. Production assistance and mixing by Eric Quintana. The music is by Makeup and Vanity Set and Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks to Christina Dana, Miranda Hawkins, Jamie Albright, Rima El Kayali, Trevor Young, and Josh Thane for their help and notes. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Or wherever you get your podcasts
2: hi guys nancy grace here host of podcast crime stories with nancy grace i've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims for a decade i prosecuted violent felonies every day is a mission every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.